Hello, and welcome to the This Happened Today in History podcast. I am your host, Mr. Miller. This podcast will cover a number of topics that happened on this date in history. Please visit the podcast webpage at thishappentoday.buzzsprout.com. There you can download the notes page, which will help you organize the information, as well as develop your own ideas on how these events change the world around us. If you're interested in hearing more, please consider subscribing so you will not miss out on what happens tomorrow in history. Today is April 16th. In 1972, NASA launched the Apollo 16 spacecraft from Cape Canaveral, Florida. The space vehicle was launched from Kennedy Space Center, Complex 39A, at 1254 p.m. The launch was normal, and the spacecraft, the launch vehicle third stage, and the instrument unit were inserted into Earth orbit for systems checkout before the vehicle was committed to translunar flight. The Apollo 16 spacecraft was modified to essentially the same configuration as Apollo 15 to carry out greater range of lunar orbital science activities and to increase the lunar surface stay and return a larger scientific payload. Many minor changes were made because of problems that occurred during the Apollo 15 mission. The mass spectrometer and gamma ray spectrometer booms in the scientific instruments module on the service module were modified to improve extension and retraction. Some minor changes were also made to lunar roving vehicle on the mission. The explanation of the Dakar region of the Apollo 16 crew provided the best look at lunar highlands. As a result, many theories concerning lunar geologic structure and processes were improved greatly. Unlike earlier Apollo missions, pre-mission photogeologic and interpretation of the landing area was an error. Far from diminishing the mission, however, discovery of the unexpected enhanced the scientific impact. The surprise at Descartes was the slate, the state of rocks, not their composition. That is, breccias rather than volcanics were dominant. This competition is consistent with the hypothesis that the highlands are an early differentiate of primitive lunar mantle. Aluminum to silicon and magnesium to silicon ratios, as determined by the orbiting X-ray fluorescence experiment, indicated that the Descartes region differs compositionally from previous Apollo sites and its chemical characteristics are representative of large regions of the lunar highlands. Thus, lessons learned at Descartes supported generalizations potentially applicable to much of the lunar surface. A continuation of the experiment flown on Apollo 15 mission, the ultraviolet photography of Earth and Moon, was to allow the comp- comparison of ultraviolet and color photographs under equivalent circumstances. The results were applied to telescopic observations of the planets. A 70mm camera was used with four filters having passbands between 255 and 400 nanometers. A survey of the returned images of the moon showed little of loss of detail in the shorter wavelengths observed in telescopic ultraviolet photographs of Mars. The photographs of the Earth show the expected diminution of detail with shorter wavelengths caused by the increased opacity of the atmosphere of the Earth at ultraviolet wavelengths. The Apollo CM heat shield windows were studied to obtain information about the flux of meteoroids with masses of 1 times 10 to the 7th grams down to the detection limit of 1 times 10 to the negative 11 grams for optical studies or of meteoroids much lower masses for electron microscope studies. The resulting estimate of mass flux was in good agreement with the Surveyor 3 data and with models generated from near-Earth studies. Three biomedical experiments were flown on Apollo 16 missions. These were the BioStack, an experiment to study the biological effects of galactic cosmic radiation, 
Apollo light flash moving emulsion detector to study the subjective observation of faint light flashes seen by nearly all Apollo crew members while in space, and the microbial ecology evaluation device to study the response of various microbes to a space environment. All three experiments were executed successfully. An impressive array of cameras was flown in the Apollo 16 CSM. These range from the highly sophisticated 24-inch panoramic camera and the 3-inch mapping camera with its laser altimeter and star field recorder to the 16, 35, and 70-millimeter cameras used for astronomical photography, Earthshine lunar photography, and solar corona photography to support crew observation of lunar features. In 1953, the Queen launched the Royal Yacht Britannia in a ceremony at Clyde Bank Yard of John Brown and Company. The Royal Yacht had a 250-strong crew who ensured Britannia is always immaculate for its foreign trips. Thousands of well-wishers greeted the Queen and the Duke of Edinburgh when they arrived at Clydeside to launch the new Royal Yacht Britannia. The Queen, who was to be crowned in June, named the ship at ceremony at the Clyde Bank Yard of John Brown and Company. In spite of heavy rain, more than 30,000 people came to hear Her Majesty say, I name this ship Britannia. The rest of her speech was drowned out by deafening cheers from the 30,000-strong crowd, mostly employees of the shipbuilders and their families. They sang Rule Britannia, accompanied by a band. The Queen and the Duke had a busy schedule prior to the naming ceremony. They they arrived at Dumbarton by train this morning and were greeted by 5,000 children at the station. There, the Queen visited an industrial estate, chatted with workers, and planted a Scots pine in the grounds. Then she paid a visit to Dumbarton Castle, the first reigning monarch to come here since Queen Victoria in 1847. She planted a cherry tree in the grounds before her next visit to Mount Blow Housing Scheme for the elderly in Clydebank. Lord Aberconway, chairman of the John Brown Limited, greeted her at the shipyard where she had lunch with company directors before the naming ceremony. The Royal Yacht has a displacement of 4,000 tons and has been designed so she can be converted to a hospital ship if necessary. She served well, or served the royal family for 44 years, carried out 968 official voyages all over the globe. In January of 1997, Britannia set sail from Portsmouth to Hong Kong on her last voyage. She was decommissioned on the 11th of December 1997 at Portsmouth Naval Base at a ceremony attended by the Queen. In April 1988 or 1998, the city of Edinburgh won a nationwide competition to be Britannia's new home. She is owned by the Royal Yacht Britannia Trust and is permanently moored in Edinburgh's historic part, port of Leith and has become a major tourist attraction. And finally, on April 16th of 2003, arguably the greatest player to ever set foot on a basketball court retired for the third and final time. After 15 seasons in the league and six NBA championships, Michael Jordan walked off the hardwood floor for the very last time. Jordan had already retired from the Chicago Bulls on two previous occasions. While in his prime and coming off three NBA titles in a row, Jordan stunned the sports world when he announced his retirement in October of 1993. He went on to pursue a baseball career, but then returned to the Bulls in March of 1995. His airness proceeded to win another three straight championships, but inner turmoil within the organization led to Jordan's second retirement in January of 99. However, he wasn't quite done yet. Once again, Jordan shocked everyone when he decided to to return to basketball in September of 2001. Yet he wouldn't be returning to Chicago. For the next two seasons, Michael Jordan traded his signature red and black for blue and white when he signed with the Washington Wizards. 
At 38 years old, he reunited with former Bulls coach Doug Collins from the early years of his career. Fans and analysts didn't quite know what to expect from Air Jordan in his late 30s, but that didn't stop fans from coming out in droves to see him play. The Wizards went on to sell out every single game for the next two seasons because of Michael Jordan's presence in D.C. Michael Jordan was candid about the 2002-2003 season being his last. Although he didn't ask for any fanfare, NBA fans around the country paid tribute to the NBA great. In every city, during every away game, fans and opposing teams honor Jordan. While in Chicago for his final game at the United Center, the crowd gave the former Bulls player an emotional four-minute standing ovation. The Miami Heat even retired Jordan's number 23 jersey. Finally, on April 16th, the Wizards faced off against the Philadelphia 76ers in the team's last regular season game. Since they didn't make the playoffs, it would be the very final game Michael Jordan would step on a NBA court as a player. As Jordan's number was called for the very last time, he left the bench and entered the game to another standing ovation. The Philadelphia crowd, his Wizards teammates, 76ers opponents, officials, and coaches all took part in a resounding ovation as a parting gift to the legendary Hooper. He fittingly hit the last shot of his career while at the line for free throws. Jordan finished his final game with 15 points, 4 rebounds, and 4 assists in a 107-87 loss. Although Jordan didn't go out on top like he did in Chicago, he proved to everyone that he still had it. Michael Jordan finished his career with 6 NBA championships, 5 MVP awards, 11 All-NBA selections, 9 All-Defensive selections, a Defensive Player of the Year, 14 All-Star selections, and 10 scoring titles. Many call him the greatest of all time. But regardless of opinion, Jordan is undoubtedly one of the best to ever touch a basketball. The game hasn't been the same ever since he drained his final free throw. You have been listening to the This Happened Today in History podcast. I thank you for listening and I hope that you have enjoyed learning about historical events from the past. Thank you to the following websites for their information regarding today's topics. ThePeopleHistory.com Launch of Apollo 16 on lpi.usra.edu Royal Yacht Britannia at news.bbc.co.uk and Michael Jordan's last NBA game on outsider.com The music used as the background track for this podcast is Americana created by Kevin McLeod on incompetech.com If you enjoyed this information and would like to hear more, please consider subscribing as this will keep the historical events in your feed in the morning for each day. I hope you have a great day.